Now let's turn to the Word of God. We're in the book of Hebrews. It is a continuation of our study, of course, and that we've had this winter in the book of Hebrews. We've made it all the way to chapter 11, which is the famous faith chapter. And what we have, instead of reading the whole chapter, we just have a few of the selected verses that sort of frame the roll call of faith. Hear now the word of the Lord. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, that is by faith, the people of old received their commendation. And then verse 13. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they're seeking a homeland. And if they had been thinking of the land from which they had gone, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. And then verse 39 and 40. And all these things, though commended through their faith, all did receive what was promised. Since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. Our subject is faith. Faith is that thing, as our very first verse tells us there, that is the substance or the assurance of things hoped for the conviction of things not seen. I'm going to describe a few of the aspects of faith and relate them to the Christian life in the few moments we have together this morning. But this verse, while not a definition of faith, tells us some things about faith. First, it says it is the assurance of things hoped for. It's the word hypostasis. It means substance. It means the stuff. Faith is the objective stuff of our hope. It is that which, in which our hope is grounded. It is that which our salvation depends. The next thing it says about faith, it says it's the conviction of things not seen. If the substance or the assurance is objective, then the assurance or the conviction is subjective. In other words, faith is that deep-seated conviction that based on everything that we have heard from God and everything that we have learned to understand and obey will come to pass. And it's the operational vehicle for the Christian faith. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but those of you who went to college and you're undergraduate, you probably, except from some business majors, you probably took either a Bachelor of Arts or a Bachelor of Science. If you took a Bachelor of Arts like I did, you spent most of your time in the library. If you had a Bachelor of Science, you spent most of your time in the laboratory taking those courses that applied to your major. I loved the library. 
I spent countless hours in the library college where I went and then also the seminary where I went had the largest theological library this side of the Vatican in Rome. And it was uh, unbelievable. There was a room in there that was about the size of this building and it had a couple of floors and a mezzanine level and from the floor to the ceiling were shelves and stacks of books. They had the complete works of everybody you could possibly imagine, Latin, the Greek fathers in Greek, countless uh, volumes, old and new. And I spent hours <laughs> just browsing and reading through that library with the big old oak tables that filled the floor that you could... I remember when I would get through, there might be 50 books piled up. I felt sorry for the librarian. We were not supposed to reshelve the books, you know. If you reshelve the books, you'd probably put them back in the wrong spot. Loved the library, loved to read, loved history, loved theology, loved all of the subjects, loved head knowledge, loved to, loved to, to study that. I hated the laboratory. I never once saw anything that I was supposed to see through that microscope. I never, I would look in the textbook and, and then I would draw it out on the test. You know, this is what an amoeba looks like. I never never understood anything about an experiment. I only took two science courses in my whole training just to get by. Couldn't stand the laboratory. Petri dishes, microscopes, Bunsen burners, and all of that. But in the Christian life, we need both. We need the library and we need the laboratory the library is that place where we get the knowledge of God, the wisdom of God. The library is that place where we understand the Word of God. And we do not have biblical faith unless we have some understanding. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. We are to uptake from the inscripturated Word of God the things that He has for us to know about our salvation, about ourselves, about our world, about everything. The very next verse that we didn't read, verse 3 says that it is by faith we understand that the worlds were made. The foundational science of all science is a cosmogony, an understanding of where the world came from. And we work on that, we have to have faith. Faith has to have the word, it has to have understanding and wisdom. We've got to spend some time in the library and that's exactly as we've pointed out before what the Bible is. 66 books, all separate, all different, independent, freestanding documents. But also in faith, we have to go to the laboratory because it's in the lab that we find the outworking and the practical nature of our faith in that which the Lord has told us. The lab requires us to get into experience, into the practical. It's in the lab that we experiment. It's in the lab where we try and fail. Whereas when we go to the library, we study things that are theoretical. When we go to the laboratory, it has to, it has to be practical. We have to be able to do it. We have to mix this with that. We have to do the formula and whatever it takes to make it work. And that's the way our faith is. We go to the library, the Word of God, and we study the riches and the wisdom of God. But then in life, in the living of life, in the getting up, going to work, 
deciding what we're going to do and driving our car and working at our job and our relationships and our earning of money and our handling of, of all kinds of interpersonal affairs and our civil government and our personal lives and our everything has an outworking of something the Word of God has taught us. And our faith has to be operative in our daily life. In the scriptures, we read absolutes, positive truth, infallible truth of God as revealed to us through his prophets and through the poets and the lawgiver Moses and others, the great writers of scripture, the apostles. But it's in the laboratory of life that we find the variables, the gray areas, the vicissitudes of life that press in upon us and things that happen to us. And I'm telling you, you can't figure out your theology in the laboratory because there's just too many anomalies. There's too many trials and error. There are too many things that fall apart. There are too many options to fail. Your theology must come from the Word of God. Then when you get it into the laboratory of your daily living, when you're sitting in that hospital waiting room, waiting on that report, you need to have, with all the anxiety that sweeps upon you and all of the, the, the uh, uncertainty and your mind racing ahead, there needs to be a settled, foundational feeling within your soul that this needs to be understood in the light of what God has taught me about his faithfulness, about the fleeting nature of life. And on and on you can go, many, many things. It's, it's practical. There's a sense in which the, the, the library of God's word gives us our principles. But there is the laboratory of each of our lives, each different, where God teaches us the personal things that we need to know. And classically, and if you, if, you don't, if you don't mind, let me teach for just a moment. If you'll read, uh, well, just Karl Barth, the theologian of the 20th century, wrote a little manual on faith. And he basically said what most uh, theologians have gleaned over the years, that there are three broad categories that make up biblical faith. There are three elements that must be in your faith for it to be a, a full-orbed biblical faith. And let me sketch them for you. In the first instance, there's some knowing. There are things to know. In this classic doctrine of the understanding of faith, we do not walk blindly. We are not ignorant. We have to learn things. We need to know things, and we find them in the Word of God. It is impossible to have faith in something in which you have no understanding and no knowledge. God is very knowable. He has revealed himself. And so we may not know all there is to know about God, and what we know might have be filled with all sorts of inscrutabilities and uncertainties, but we can know something about God. And fact is, through the gospel, we can know quite a bit about God. We need to know something about God's person and his attributes, his nature, his love, his mercy, his justice, his immense power. We need to know something about his person, about his spirit, about his son. Our faith is not ignorant and blind. We do not walk in darkness. 
Faith is not a leap into the darkness. It's a leap into the light. And we need to know something about God, who he is and how he operates and how we relate to him through Jesus Christ. So there's knowledge involved in our faith. And the more we can increase that knowledge, the more we increase the faith. And the Lord opens our eyes to see things. You see, faith is an eye. It is a, an, an organ of perception of the invisible. Not the unreal, not the imaginary, but the real. There's nothing more real than spiritual realities, and only the eye of faith sees it. That's why the scriptures talk about when we're in our sins, we're in a, we're in a darkness, we're in a, we're in a condition of blindedness. We don't see, but God has opened our eyes to see. And so faith involves all of that dimension of knowledge and understanding and light. In the second place, faith involves not only knowing, but trusting. The Bible says we walk by faith and not by sight. There's a sense in which a good sound biblical faith is a faith that is trusting, it's depending, it's relying upon God. We know enough about God to know that he's trustworthy. And we know enough about God that we can depend on him. We know he's good. We know that all things work together according to his divine plan. We know that he knows the end from the beginning. We know that he knows everything about us. He knows our frailty. He knows our, our rottenness. He knows our, everything about us. And yet, he loves us and cares for us. And we can trust that. In fact, the, well, let me finish my third one here and I'll, I'll run off on a tangent. What have I said so far? I've said we've got to have knowledge, light, and understanding in order to have a good faith. Faith is not ignorant, it's not blind, it's not dumb. Faith is also trusting. And you do this in the laboratory. You trust God for this, and you see that the Lord takes care of you. So then you've got a testimony to give. And our scripture here said that by faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it, by faith, the people of old receive their commendation. It's actually the word witness. It's the word testimony. And this is the divine approval and the divine recognition that you trusted God. And it's also a sense in which it's a trust that is strong and implicit. And yet, Often we don't have a whole lot of things to go on. This whole roll call of faith, which we're skipping, and by the way, we've preached through every single one of these characters over the last few years. You can look it up in the archives and get the sermons. We've preached through the roll call of faith with Enoch and Abel and Abraham and Moses and Rahab and all of them. We've, we've talked about the great principles of faith. But let me let you know on a secret. If you study their lives carefully, they, a lot of them are really messed up. And let me tell you some, something else about these characters. They didn't have a lot to go on. Sometimes they lived their whole lives and there wasn't a whole lot of evidence that God even cared or existed. So that sounds strange coming from a pulpit, but that's true. They, they had the bare word of God, the sheer, mere promises from God. They had the commandments from God. They, 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 they struggled with what they had. And yet God sustained them through it all. You take the life of Abraham, for example. Abraham, and we talk about the man of faith. You ever talked about Abraham's sin? When we had that, he had an enormous amount of sin in his life, big sins. 
I'll give you one right here. God said, leave your family and go to the land. He took his father and his, and his uncle and his nephew and everybody with him. He didn't obey God at all from the first. But as the years went by, he began, as God opened himself up and revealed his covenant and revealed his love and dealt with him through the ordeal of, 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 of Ishmael and, and then finally Isaac, the son of promise and all of that. God said, I'm going to give you this land. Look at the stars and look at the land. I'm going to give you this great land from the Euphrates River to the Nile River. That's the fertile crescent of the ancient world. God promised Abraham the world. And yet when he died, all he owned in the middle of that was a little tiny plot of land in which he had paid for burial for Sarah and himself. That's dying in faith. In fact, if I was Abraham, when I got down to the day before I died, I think I'd record in my journal, I'm afraid God doesn't exist because he hadn't done anything for me. He said, he said, I'd be a great nation. I got one son. He said, I would be, have this whole land and I've got nothing but a little burial plot. He would go down. He said, yet the Bible tells us that Abraham believed God. He was looking for greater things. And of course, it ended up God gave him a nation. In Christ, there's a whole nation of redeemed humanity. God gave him a land. It's going to be the heavenly city, the, the real city that he was seeking, as the text says. So the sense in which you trust God, even though you don't have a lot of physical evidence in front of you that, that God is hearing your prayers and that God is working. On the other hand, there will come those moments, I promise you, I promise you, I stand here and promise you that if you live your life before God in trust, there will be those confirming moments in your life when he will lift you out of a miry pit, when he will protect you from the, 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 the devourer, when he will see uh, your life have elements in it of the miraculous. And if you're not careful, you'll miss it. But the eye of faith will see it and say, that was God. That's the only explanation I was God doing that for me and sparing me. If you live long enough and walk with the Lord in trusting Him. Well, let me, let me hurry on. I'm running out of time. First element's knowing. The second element is trusting God with all your heart. Though He slay me, yet will I trust Him, said the ancient sage. And then the third place, faith involves obedience. That's right. We're saved by faith apart from the works of the law. But a faith that is genuine, a faith in God that, that has been engendered by His Spirit, that has been quickened and awakened in your heart, if it's the real stuff, it will do something. Faith without works is dead. There will be a manifestation in your life of your faith. You will learn to obey God. We walk by faith and not by sight. We stay in step with the Spirit. And God calls us to live from faith to faith. The just shall live by faith. That not only means that we will receive our life by faith, we will live by faith, but we will live our lives by faith. In fact, the living of the Christian life involves disobedience. Knowing, trusting, and obeying. I like that old song that says, trust and obey for there's no other way. That's, that's the Christian life. If you're living in disobedience, you're living in sin, you're living in rebellion, you're not paying any attention to the commandments of God, you're not walking according to the commands of God, you probably don't have any biblical faith to start with. You probably don't have any saving faith. I'm not, I can't give you one ounce of assurance this morning that if you're living a life 
that is void of God's presence in your life and the reality, you are probably not a believer. I don't care how many tithes you've given and how many churches you've joined and how many times you've taken communion. God expects obedience and faith goes on to obedience. We have to understand, but we also have to act. We have to believe, but we also have to behave. And that's what God expects of us. He expects both. The scripture even says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. And that's what we're talking about this morning. And let me just close by pointing you back to the verse that was the last verse before we started looking at chapter 11 in our scripture. You got your Bibles, you can turn back to verse to uh, chapter 10, verse 39. And here's the word of gospel this morning for you as I close. We are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed. It's rather binary here. There's like an either or. There's one or the other. You're either part of those that shrink back from faith, shrink back from God, shrink back from His commandments, withdraw yourself from Him, and are destroyed, perish in your own corruption and in your own blindness and your own ignorance and your own faithlessness, your own disobedience. But the writer here says, we're not those kind of people as believers in Jesus Christ, but we are of those who have faith and preserve their souls. If you're interested in psychology today, you're interested in your soul. That's what the word psych means. It means soul, psuche in the Greek. And if you're interested in saving your soul, whether you're a child, a young person, teenager, young adult, or as I'm coming to realize, an old man like myself, every time one of these days comes around, these birthdays, doesn't matter. Young or old, rich or poor, male or female, super brilliant or just kind of ordinary intelligence. It's a, it's a matter of preserving your soul. And you do that by coming to Christ. Christ is the doorway, He's the gate, He's the path, He's the way to all that the Father has. In faith in Christ, believing in Christ, trusting in Christ, obeying Christ, knowing about Christ, exercising your faith in Christ is the pivotal moment in your life. You, you can't leave this room this morning without coming to some kind of terms with that. You've got to say, okay, I'm in or I'm out. Or maybe I'm, I don't know. You've got to come to some kind of terms with where you are in your faith in God. Get in the library. I'm here to tell you you're already stuck in the laboratory. 